Well, a couple of months ago, my wife uh, Jennifer and I and our two girls uh, left and met her family in Noblesville, which is just outside of Indianapolis. And we met at a place called Penheads. Now, Penheads is kind of like Chuck E. Cheese, um, except Penheads actually has a bowling alley that is connected on the back end of it. Now, we've only been to Chuck E. Cheese once since we've had kids. Do you know why? I hate it. I hate it with a passion. I think it is evil incarnate is what I think. But I thought Pinheads, you know, just the name itself might be a little bit different. And so we gave it a try. Guess what? I was wrong. It was just as loud and chaotic as Chuck E. Cheese. Kids were running around, yelling, spilling their drinks. Uh, Kids were crying. Parents were crying. I even saw, no joke, one of the employees at Pinheads was over in the corner crying because kids were just out of control. The food was lousy. The service was lousy. The bowling alley was lousy. It was one of those lanes where it almost felt like there was pop. Every time you'd roll your ball, you know, it just kind of kind of stick and go into the gutter. But there was one thing that Pinheads had, and it was a great arcade. And so we went into the arcade, spent half of our time there, and we're going around to the different games, when all of a sudden my two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Jordan, found the game that she played on and on and on for the rest of our time together. And the game is called Whack-A-Mole. Whack-A-Mole. Here it is. I took a picture, just so you'd see. Anybody familiar with this game? Okay. You get a hammer, and moles pop up. And you take the hammer, and you hit any mole that pops up. But as soon as you pop one of them back down, when you whack it, what happens? Another one comes up. Then you slam that one, and then two come up. And then you get real quick and you slam two of them, but then three more come up. The thing about this game that is evil is you can't win. No matter how many times you slam it down, they just keep coming up. And pretty soon you get tired of the game and you just walk away. Well, friends, whack-a-mole is a metaphor for life. Just about the time you've got one problem whacked, what happens? Another one pops up. And you whack that one down, and two more come up. And you whack those two problems down, and three more come up. And that's life. Whack them all. Have a great week. God bless you. Now, this is true also with persistent sins. I'm not just talking about problems, but I'm talking about those persistent sins, those temptations, those things that we do that we hate it, but we do it over and over and over again. It's the weaknesses in our life that when we think we finally overcome them, they pop up again. Have you ever noticed this? Things just have a tendency to pop up. Now, you can go and you can read a self-help book, and what it will do is teach you how to whack faster. But that's not what God's Word, the Bible, says. 
The Bible teaches us that to end the game of sin, to unplug it, you need a power that you don't have yourself. And it's only that power that will keep those moles down from popping up. If you would, I'd like us to just take a little confession, kind of a mass confession here uh, this morning. We'll do it by a sign of hands. Um, have you ever stayed up late when you knew you needed sleep? Anybody? Okay, good. Have you ever stayed up late and you've actually slept in church the next morning? Look at that. Liars. I see you. Have you ever eaten or drunk extra calories that you knew you shouldn't have? Have you ever made commitments that you couldn't possibly keep? You might just want to leave your hand up, actually. No, I'm joking. Have you ever felt you ought to exercise, but you didn't? Have you ever known that you should be kind and unselfish, but you were unkind and selfish? Have you ever tried to take control of your life or a circumstance or another person and discovered you couldn't? Well, welcome to the human race. And you are in a good church this morning. Because we are unperfect people in this place. Imperfect. That's what it is. Now, there was a guy in the Bible named Paul who was the greatest Christian next to Jesus. And even Paul struggled with some tough stuff. In fact, let's look at what he says. He says this, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate to do, I do. I know that nothing good lives in my sinful nature. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Paul is saying, even though I wrote over half of the New Testament, and I'm considered maybe the most important person in the Bible next to Jesus himself, I'm struggling, he's saying, I'm struggling in this moment with an issue in my life, with sin in my life. Okay, let's take another little survey. It's in your uh, teaching outline, so if you pull that out for a second. I've got a little survey there for you this morning. And there are some things there that probably keep popping up in your life. So which of these on this keep popping up? And you can just circle them. Don't look at the person beside you. Don't circle theirs, okay? Just circle your own. Okay? Are these things that are popping up in your life? What about stress? Fears? Overwork? Attractions? Attractions that I shouldn't have. Addiction. Regrets. Diet. Worry. Bad habits. Anger. Does anger ever get the best of you? Dishonesty. Does that keep popping up in your life? The need to control. Finances, can you, can you pay your bills? Relationships, are there painful memories in your relationships that just keep popping up? Perfectionism, maybe resentment. Compulsive thoughts. Well, if you circled any of these, you are in the right church this morning. 
Because we are a church that more than ever in the history of our church, we want people to grow. We want them to grow. If you're perfect, go find another church. Okay? But just realize that when you go to that church, that church won't be perfect either because you'll be there. A little slow this morning, aren't we? You'll get that later on, I guarantee. Now the question becomes, what causes all of these problems? What's the root cause that causes all of this? Well, the root cause is this. It's plain God. It's plain God. You simply say with your words and your actions, I'm going to do what I want, when I want, where I want. You know, our oldest temptation, the oldest temptation since the beginning of the world has been to play God. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. God says, you can have anything you want in this garden, just don't eat this fruit. Then Satan comes and says, if you eat that fruit, you'll be a god. Folks, Satan never tempts you to be like himself. You know what he always tempts you to do? To be a God. To be your own God. There's a whole philosophy out there today called the New Age Movement that focuses on this. It says you're a God. You're divine. You're a God, and God is in you, and you're a God. I hate to burst your bubble this morning, folks, but if you have a pulse this morning, guess what? You're not God. You're not. You're not God. The New Age movement is the biggest lie that there is. You're not God because this is why I know. If you were God, you would not have the problems that you have. You would have already solved them. You would have taken care of them. But you're not. So it's the oldest temptation given by Satan, and it's caused by our pride. There was a guy in the Bible by the name of Ezekiel who was a prophet, who was a messenger, who spoke on God's behalf. And one time he goes to this big king in Tyre, and this is what he says to him about playing God. He says this, In the pride of your heart you say, I am God, but you are just a man and not a God, though you think you are as wise as a God. Do you know when you think you are as wise as God? When God tells you to do something, and you don't do it. I know God says not to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I know God says not to do that, but I'm going to do it anyway. I know what will make me happy more than what God knows. I know God says no sex outside of marriage, but I'm going to do what I want to do. I know God says to give money to God's church, but I'm going to do what I want to do. I know God says, you fill in the blank, but I'm going to do what I want to do. And every time God tells you to do something and you don't do it, guess what? You are playing God. You're actually saying, I know what will make me more happy than what God knows. Folks, the source of all of our problem at its root is that we like to play God. The Bible says this, pride ruins people. 
I just wanted to see if you knew what the common denominator was in all of your bad relationships this morning. You know what the common denominator is in all of your bad relationships? You! You're the common denominator. You are your worst enemy. You cause yourself more problems than anybody else. You are the common denominator. So what's the cure? Well, that's what we're going to talk about in these next eight weeks. We're going to be looking at how we can have life's healing choices in each of our lives. We're going to look at it by looking at eight Beatitudes. These are eight statements that Jesus made in his greatest teaching ever called the Sermon on the Mount because he taught it on a mountaintop. And Jesus starts this whole sermon by saying, I'm going to tell you eight ways that will bless your life. If you do this, your life will be blessed. If you do this, your life will be blessed. If you do this, your life will be blessed. Eight statements, eight blessings that Jesus wants to give to you over these next eight weeks. Now that word blessing can kind of become a little bit difficult to understand because it's defined different ways. But if you take the actual language of the time, Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in, what you can find out is that that word blessed actually means happy. So to be blessed means to be happy. And Jesus starts off his most famous teaching by saying, I'm going to give you eight things to make your life happy. Eight different ways that make your life happy. But these eight things, the world will not tell you. Now the first beatitude, the very first way to happiness, the first healing choice of getting over our hurts and our habits and our hang-ups is this. And let's read this together. It'll come up on the board. Let's read it together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what does that mean, poor in spirit? I mean, that doesn't really kind of add up, does it, that poor and happiness would kind of go together, that being poor would create happiness. Well, if you have your program, you might want to circle the word in spirit. Because when Jesus says poor in spirit, he's not talking about physical poverty. We all know that being poor physically is a horrible thing to have to experience. So that's not what he's talking about. But what he's talking about is spiritual poverty. In other words, recognizing my sinfulness, recognizing my helplessness, recognizing my hopelessness. I love the God's uh, Word translation of this verse. It says this, Blessed are those who recognize that they are spiritually helpless. That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about being spiritually helpless. Helpless. Folks, the first step towards health in your life is admitting that you are powerless and that you need help from God. This is what it means to be spiritually poor. I don't have it together, so God, I need you in my life. And again, it's not about being physically poor. It's spiritually poor. And the reason that we call these eight things Beatitudes is because... They are the attitudes that you need to be. Each of these, you need to be poor in spirit. So the question becomes then, how do we become poor in spirit? 
How do I become poor in spirit? Well, the first thing is this. I must humbly admit I need help. I must humbly admit I need help. You just begin by saying, I've got to face the truth about me. I've got to stop living in denial. That's why we call this the reality choice, to be real with yourself. Jesus put it in a very cool way. He said this, the truth will set you free. So I have to face the truth about me. But do you know what the truth of the truth of the truth of the truth is? You can't handle the truth. You guys remember that? Yeah. You don't like the truth about you. You love the truth about everybody else, don't you? You just love to get those little kernels of truth about other people. Oh, my. Makes me excited. But you can't handle the truth about you. You can't. We avoid it, we fake it, we run away from it. And the reason is because it's too painful. We will live phony lives, fake lives, anything, so we don't have to deal with pain that is the truth about us. Because it feels a whole lot safer not to handle the truth about me, because the truth sets us free. But you know what the truth does first? It makes you miserable. Absolutely miserable. Because what truth does is it forces you to think about making a change. So I humbly admit that I need help. All that means is you're being honest with yourself. And this is the good news about your hurts, habits, and hang-ups. They can be healed. The bad news is if you want healing in your life, it takes humility. You've got to humble yourself and swallow your pride. The Bible says this, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, what is grace? We've often said grace means that there is nothing you can do to make God love you less, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And that's true. You find out that your identity has nothing to do with the love that God has for you. He loves you no matter what. And the reason he gives you that grace is it is the power to change your life. Grace is the power you need to change. Let me be honest with you. In these next eight weeks, if you will commit to being a part of a small group and reading this book and coming on Sunday, at the end of those eight weeks, I guarantee that your life will be different and you'll see changes that you've never seen before in your life. Guaranteed. Take it to the bank. But it's not going to happen by your own willpower. Have you ever noticed willpower doesn't work? How many of you have ever started a diet before? Yeah. I mean, the reality is, you would still be on it, right? If you had willpower, but you're not. How many of you have ever started an exercise program? January comes, hey, the Y's having this great deal. You get there and you're like, oh man, I'm going, ooh, 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 ooh. start lifting weights, running, throwing up, all kinds of stuff. And then January 2nd comes, and you're like, forget that, right? You can't do it on willpower. You'll just get too tired. What you need is grace. 
And the only way you get grace is through a power that is greater than yourself. And that's God. And it happens when you humble yourself before him and say, I'm not God. Now, humility means admitting a few things. You have to admit a few things if you want God to bless your life. Here's the first thing you have to admit. I am broken. I am broken. You know, we live in a world that's broken. Nothing works perfectly. The weather doesn't work perfectly, right? No. The atmosphere doesn't work perfectly. We've seen the destruction of Haiti over the last few weeks, and we're thinking of a, a way on Valentine's Day to, to impact that way, impact that country. But it's not perfect. Also, the economy doesn't work perfectly. We've seen that in the last couple of years. Also, relationships don't work perfectly, and marriages don't work perfectly, and families don't work perfectly. I mean, everything is broken. Have you ever noticed even that your body doesn't work perfectly? Because your DNA is broken. Now, God never intended for us to go through life with deformities. Physical deformities, emotional deformities, mental deformities. But we live in a broken world, and everything is broken. I mean, that's why it's always crazy to me when people say, oh, we're going to have a perfect marriage. No, you're not. If you take one broken person and you take another broken person and you put them into a marriage, what's that marriage going to be? A broken marriage. It ain't going to happen to have a perfect marriage. It's going to be broken. The Bible even says this. Creation is confused. It's frustrated. It's groaning. Everybody's confused these days. I mean, they're asking questions like, what am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to do? We are confused with our attitudes and confused with attractions and confused with addictions and confused about everything in life. We've got people trying to be other people. We have younger people trying to be older people and older people trying to be younger people and men trying to be women and women trying to be men. And we've got races trying to be different races. And folks, God doesn't desire you to be anything else than who he created you uniquely, specially to be. But many of us go through identity crisis. We're confused. And the reason is because we live in a broken world. Nobody is perfect. We're all broken. Now, the problem with brokenness is, is that when we hit some real broken stuff in our life, pretty soon we look in the mirror and we go... Man, I think I'm losing my mind. I'm going crazy. Now, folks, rational people have the fear of losing their mind. But they're not crazy. So you can take a deep breath. Okay? Because let me let you in on a little secret this morning. Crazy people aren't afraid of being crazy. They're not. The very fact that you're afraid that I might be going crazy means that you ain't doing it. In fact, I'd like everybody to look to the person beside you for a second and smile at them. Smile. Go ahead, do this. Smile at them and say, I'm broken. No, say it to the other person. I'm broken, but I'm not crazy. Okay? I'm broken, but I'm not crazy. 
So welcome to the crazy community church, okay? Now, we're all broken, but we're not crazy. And it's okay to be broken. It means we're all in the same boat together. We're not perfect. Friends, everybody in this room has fears. Everybody in this room has insecurities. Everybody in this room has struggles. Everyone in this room wants to look better than you actually are. Everyone in this room has habits they'd like to break. We're all in the same boat. You're broken. We're broken. But we're not crazy. Here's the second thing. I must admit my secrets make me sick. I must admit that my secrets make me sick. David, the greatest king in the Bible, and actually the only person in the Bible who was ever called a man after God's own heart, actually said this. When I refused to confess my sin, I was weak and miserable, and I groaned all day long. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you, And stop trying to hide them all. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. He's saying, when I held on to my secrets, I got sick. Friends, it's not so much what you eat as it is what is eating you. If you're tired all the time, if you're frustrated all the time, if you've got all these problems going on, what you need to do is look at the inside. What are you hiding? My secrets make me sick. When I get them out, when I'm honest, when I'm open about it, that's when I start to become well. You know, hiding never works. It doesn't. Because when you hide a sin, you know what actually happens to that sin? It gets worse. It doesn't get better when you hide it. It gets worse. So let me ask you this morning, what are you hiding? What are you pretending isn't a problem? What are you faking? What are you wearing a mask about? Another thing you'll need to admit if you want to receive God's blessing is, I must admit it to defeat it. I must admit it to defeat it. I can't work on sins in my life until I admit sins in my life. I can't work on my hang-ups in my life until I admit that I have hang-ups in my life. I can't work on the fears in my life until I admit I have fears in my life. I must admit it to defeat it. The Bible says this, you will never succeed in life. You want to be successful? You'll never be successful in life if you try to hide your sins. God says, you're going to just fight against me if you do that. You will never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins. Confess them and give them up. Then God will show mercy to you. I can't defeat it until I admit it. Folks, we have wasted an enormous amount of energy in our lives by hiding the stuff in our lives that have been very ugly. All that energy we use to pretend to be somebody that we're not. To hide your weaknesses and faults. It drains you. It wears you out. That's why people get tired. Because they're trying to be something that they're not. 
Because if you didn't have to try to hide things, just think about that. If you didn't hide anything, you'd be open, authentic, honest. You would go through life and you would never be drained. You would have energy for the good stuff in life. Now the problem is, is that many of us think that our sins don't stink. Now we think other people's sins stink really bad. In fact, we think, you know, I'm not as bad as Jack and Jill who are down the hill, right? Or the Joneses who live across the street. I mean, those people there, they're really messed up, you know? I just got little sins. This past week, I had a spiritual experience while I was changing my daughter Shiloh's diaper. I think we have a picture up over there. Now, when most people see her, they go, she is such an angel. She is so pretty. She's beautiful. She's so cute. My parents, in fact, go even overboard on that. And they'll go, you know what? They're insane, by the way. Insane grandparents. They'll say things like this. They'll say, you know what? Her poop doesn't even stink. Well, this week I was changing her diaper and she had a master blowout. And it stunk to high heaven. I mean, it was so bad that I had to get a clothespin, you know, put it on your nose, one of those where you're just like, do it as fast as I can. Now, in the midst of changing this diaper and doing this, this huge, profound theological statement hit me. Everybody stinks. Everybody stinks. Now, many of us try to rationalize our smell by saying, well, I don't stink as bad as, you know, so-and-so. But deep down inside, folks, we all know we stink. There's stuff in your life that you don't like. I'm not talking about the stuff that God doesn't like. I'm talking about the stuff that just you, yourself, you look in the mirror and you go, man, I don't like that. And the only way to ever get beyond it is to receive God's blessing. You have to admit, I am broken, my secrets make me sick, and I must admit it if I'm going to defeat it. So poor in spirit, how do we do it? First of all, we admit it, and secondly, I must humbly ask God for help. I must humbly ask God for help. I admit, and then I ask. I admit I need help, and then I ask God for help. Paul, the guy who was the closest follower to Jesus, was going through a really tough time one time in his life. In fact, there were people who were out to get him. They were trying to take him out. They were threatening his life. They were ready to kill him because of his faith. And he becomes depressed and discouraged and overwhelmed, ready to throw in the towel. He's ready to just kick in the bucket, forget it all. And then he said this, We saw how powerless we were to help ourselves. That's step one. Poor in spirit. We don't have power. We need power. We are powerless. Then he goes on to say, But that was good. Now how can that be good? How can it be good to admit that you're helpless and you're powerless? Because look what it says. For then we put everything into the hands of God 
who alone could save us, for he can even raise the dead. Folks, I want you to know this this morning. That if God could raise a person from the dead, he can raise a marriage from the dead. And if he can raise a person from the dead, he can raise a dead-end job from the dead. And if he can raise a person from the dead, he can raise a family from the dead. And if he can raise a person from the dead, he can raise a dream from the dead. God can do miracles. I mean, anybody can take something good and make something good, but what God does is he can take the bad and he makes things good. You know, everything is kind of the key word in that verse. Everything. When they gave everything, that means total surrender. Everything that I have to God. It's not partial surrender, like, okay, my finances are messed up right now, so God, I'm giving you my finances. Or my sex life is messed up right now, so God, I'll give you my sex life. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about everything, that you give everything to him, you surrender, you put it into his hands. And I just wonder this morning, how many of you have ever done that? How many of you really totally surrendered everything in your life? The good, the bad, the ugly, the ups, the downs, the highs, the lows, the happy, the sad. I mean, just everything given it to Him. Today, as your friend and as your pastor, I just want you to know that I'm begging you today, don't wait till you hit rock bottom. Don't wait until you hit that lowest point before you surrender everything. Sometimes God allows us to be disobedient as long as we want until finally we're lying flat on our back and the only thing we can do is look up. I'm telling you, that's not a place you want to get to. There's an easier way to do it. And the key is total surrender of God, of yourself to God. Don't wait until everything kind of drops in your life. Just give it to him now. I love the way that the message paraphrases this beatitude. It says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. You're blessed. With less of you there, there is more of God and his rule. So I admit I need help. I ask God that I need help. And if you want to be poor in spirit, If you want to receive this blessedness, this happiness from God, this blessing of being poor in spirit, the last thing is, I must humbly accept other people. I must humbly accept help from other people. You see, folks, God has wired us in such a way that we need each other. In fact, you can't get healthy by yourself. Because whatever the problem, whatever the fear, whatever the loneliness, whatever it is in your life that is messing you up, you will never get rid of it on your own. You won't. If you could do that, you would have already done it. But you can't, so you won't. You're not going to get well until you are honest with yourself and with others. Because you have to get honest with yourself, with others, and with God. The Bible says this, Two people are better than one. Two people are better than one. 
Because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and no one is there to help him up. We are here to help each other. That's why we exist as a church. You were never meant to go through life as a lone ranger. You were never meant to go through this thing alone. You were never meant to deal with your problems by yourself. We're to do it together. We need each other. The fact is, folks, we need each other to become healthy. If you don't have anybody in your life who you can totally, brutally, honestly just share everything in your life, I pity you. Because you'll never be the healthiest person you can be until you find someone like that. God wired us to live in community, to be in groups together. Because when you're going through a tough time, you need people around you. You need people who are constantly saying, we believe in you. Don't worry about it. We got your back. We'll believe in God for you. We're going to help you through this. We'll give you the faith that you need. God says, that's what real friendship is. And pity the person, he says, who's never had anyone around them to love them, to care for them, to be in their corner, no matter what. This next verse is maybe the most important verse in the Bible for health and growth in your life. It's about getting connected. And it says this. Let's read it together. It's up on the board. Admit your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. If you want to be healed, the key is admitting your faults and praying for each other. That's what leads to healing. You know, often after church, I'll um, greet people, which I won't be today. I'll be greeting them in the room. But I'll greet people, and people will come up, and they'll ask for prayer. And sometimes people will come up, and they'll go, You know what, Chris? I've never told anyone this before. And when they say that, I don't freak out. I'm like, Wow. They're going to receive some freedom now. They're getting something off of their shoulder. And all of a sudden then, the boogeyman that comes out isn't as big as they thought it. And they're like, why didn't I say that earlier in my life? Why didn't I get freed up from this junk in my trunk? You realize you got junk in your trunk, right? Denial. It's horrible, I know. Now, I'll be honest with you. This is the toughest step for many of you to get through. You know why? Because it deals with your pride. Many of us are like, I don't mind telling God about any habit in my life. I just don't want to tell anybody else. I don't mind telling God about this attraction I have to somebody. I just don't want to tell anybody else. I don't mind telling God about this addiction in my life that I've covered up. I just don't want to tell anybody else. I don't mind telling God about my problems, my fears, anything. I just don't want to tell anybody else. Folks, I'm just telling you from personal experience of someone who's done that. You keep all that stuff bottled up inside of you and you will have a miserable life. You'll be stuck in it for the rest of your life. Because you will never get well on your own. Never. Because God created us in such a way that we need each other. We need people around us. Let me just be honest here. If you want to be forgiven of any of your sins, go to God. He'll forgive anything in your life. But if you want to be healed, you share it with somebody else. 
Now, I'm not saying you have to tell everybody. You know, Super Bowl's next week. I'm not saying, you know, get the Goodyear blimp. Hey, this is how much I've messed up. You know, drive that thing around. No. You don't need to tell everybody. You just need to tell somebody. One or two people that you could just share anything in your life and you know that they would be there. And I'm telling you, you don't want big mouth people to share that with. You don't. People that you want are people who say, me too. I know exactly what you're talking about. I've experienced that myself. I get it. And maybe they haven't experienced it exactly like you, but they're like, wow, you know what? I bet that really hurts. I bet that's tough. Now, for the next eight weeks, we're going to be in a spiritual growth campaign. We do one of these campaigns uh, once a year. And we've done it since we started the JAR because it's the fastest way for you to grow. Every once in a while, you need slow growth, but every once in a while, you need kind of a push, a little fast way to grow. I like those fast ways. And let me explain. I grew up as a pastor's uh, kid, a PK, in a pastor's home. And I figured out pretty quickly, in fact, my sister, my brother, we all figured out pretty quickly that people could come to church for 40 years and they would never spiritually grow. They'd just be exactly the way they were 40 years ago. Because just coming to church will not grow you spiritually. Why? There's a study that was recently done by the United States Air Force that says that you forget 90 to 95% of what you're told 72 hours later. Women, am I right? Yeah, if you have a man in your life, you know, they forget. So this is really discouraging for me. I was depressed this week. I needed some people around me because this is what this means. By Wednesday you're only going to remember about 5% of what I said. And I sure hope it wasn't whack-a-mole, you know? I mean, it is. That means that if you've been here at the JAR since the very beginning, you've only got 5% of what I've ever taught on. That's why we have these handouts that we try to encourage people to write things down. Because if you write it down, it kind of increases that level. And that's why in this campaign, we're giving away free books. You can pick one up today. And if you read it, it's going to help you stick a little bit more. And if you get in a small group, which we're encouraging everybody to do, you'll get it to stick a little bit more. And if you have a project that each small group is going to kind of have within these eight weeks, you'll be able to have it to stick more, and you'll be a different person than you are today, eight weeks from now. Now, if you would, I'd like you to pull out, last thing you pull out and then we'll be done, is this little card right here that is a small groups card. And what I'd like you to do, if you haven't yet, to fill it out and pick a time to be a part of a group. We have a group meeting every single night, Monday through Friday, and one during the day on Thursday. And you just fill it out. And you can take it in the back, and there are books back there that uh, will be distributed that you can get today. Because I believe that the greatest way for you to grow is not just hearing me on Sunday, but it's by getting connected into a small group. And back there in the back, uh, you can pick up one of those books and get connected. Now, here's the ground rules for these small groups. Because people have not signed up, I'm sure, because they are freaked out a little bit. What, what's all this mean? Well, first of all, here's the first ground rule. 
Whatever is said in the group stays in the group. Okay? Whatever is said in the group stays. It's like Vegas, right? What happens in Vegas, what? Stays in Vegas. That's the way the group's going to be. Confidentiality is absolutely necessary. This is not one of those groups where you go to Facebook then and you tell everybody, okay? What's said in the group stays in the group. Here's the second thing. Don't try to fix people. This, this series is not about fixing people. It's about fixing you. You fix you and God fixes you. No one else to fix you. You just listen, support, encourage other people. Here's the third thing. Don't minimize others' pain. Don't minimize others' pain. If someone has recently become a widow and they come into the group and they go, man, I'm so discouraged because I just lost my husband a month ago. You don't go, wow, I just lost my hamster this week. You know, it's been, it's been tough. No. You don't try to outdo the person. You don't try to say, well, my uncle, he was sick a month ago, but we prayed for him and we just fasted and we did a whole bunch of holy stuff and he got better. No, don't do that. You don't minimize other people's pain. Here's the last thing. Some of our groups, what we're going to do this time that we've never done before, is that there are going to be men and women that will break up into groups. So what will happen is you'll come to your group, and uh, there'll be food there, and we'll hang out together maybe in somebody's family room. And then after that, what will happen is uh, we'll show a DVD video, and uh, you'll watch that together. And then you'll break into two groups, one for men, one for women. Maybe the women stay in the house, guys go out in the garage, right? Something like that. And because what we've learned is that there are some things that men will only share with men. And women will only share with women. So get a part of a group today because that will change your life. But these Beatitudes that we're going to give you, none of them are going to work unless you turn to the author of them, Jesus himself. The Bible says this, When we were unable to help ourselves, which is now, at that moment of our need, which is right now, Christ died for us. Jesus came to help you, but you must accept him into your life. Today, if you're at the end of your rope, or you're at the time in which I'm tired of denying these things in my life, today's the greatest day of your life. Because now is the time for change. Let's stand for closing prayer. I just want to ask you this morning, uh, you know, what's unhealthy in your life? What needs changing? I just wonder if you could take that first step today to, to just say, God, this is the area, you know, this is the thing that I really want to work at. This is the thing that keeps popping up. Father, help us to know that none of us are perfect. We know that. Only you are perfect. 
And some of the areas in our life, God, are so painful that we've been masking them, holding them back, hiding them, pretend they don't exist. But they're there. And Lord, I know right now that there are probably marriages that are struggling or people that are struggling with different things in their life. And they need your healing. And so now I pray, God, that you would just be able to help them to get beyond their secret sins and their hurt and their fear of trying to control things. And Lord, that you would give them the courage to become healthy. And if you would right now, if you just kind of pray this in your own mind, that you could just say, Dear God, I want to take the first step to getting healthy today. I realize that I'm not God. And I've often acted like I was, but I'm not. And I've done things that you've told me not to do, but God, I humbly admit that I need help. I admit it. I admit my need for you in my life. I want to get connected with some people, God, and it might be scary, so would you just help me to have the courage to do so? I'm asking for your help. I want to be healed. I know that Satan right now is throwing all kinds of things in my life to kind of detract me. But God, would you help me now in these these next eight weeks to not stay stuck but to see change and newness in my life. I believe, God, that you want to do this for each person in this room. For it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Always know that you're loved in this place. If you want to come up, Derek will be connecting. And if you want to meet me, we'll uh, be meeting in the